So I just love this song. It's, one, it's an oldie but a goodie. One whole on pure and holy passion, magnificent obsession, glorious ambition. <laughs> May that be our life motto. Ephesians chapter 6, if you need a Bible, there may be one in front of you on a chair, under the chair. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one with you. It's probably a little warm, but that's okay. You can have it to get your mind until you get one you like. So, just... Our objective tonight would be to finish Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so, just a quick overview. I've done this as we've made it through the book because it's such a powerful book. It is a general letter. It is, an, it is a, I think, a letter to a circulatory letter. So it would have gone all around, as I've said before, to Asia Minor and to some of the first churches that Paul established there. And Ephesus was sort of the Mecca of that area, and so other churches started from that. But this would have passed, been passed around. There's no, uh, it's not a corrective epistle. It's just a general uh, presentation, I believe, of what we have in Christ and what's available to us. And as it's been said, these early Christians were saved no question about it. They'd been converted. They're Gentiles, so there's an ignorance of God. They were not raised in church, so to speak. But they're ignorant of what's available to them through the finished work of Christ. And he starts out, you know, right out, right out of the gate there in chapter 1. You're blessed. You're chosen. You're predestined. You've been accepted into his family. You're redeemed, which means you're pulled out of the slave market and given a new life. You're forgiven of all your trespasses and sins. I don't think of it. There's a greater gift than to have the forgiveness of sins and to have the gift of, you know, of righteousness and your guilt removed, you know. It's just incredible. And then he's given us a mind that understands to, to, to a wisdom and prudence and to know the mind of God and the heart of God. This is a, a treasure indeed. And then, you know, not only that, but on the other side of this life we have an inheritance wow man it's great being part of God's family isn't it you know we're going to talk about a little later here that God's really into family it's, this is what it's about he, has, he had a divine family when he created the angelic realm they were his, his heavenly family they were right there in his midst around his throne you know, God didn't need them God can do everything he want, that needs to be done by himself but that's not how he chooses to operate. He likes working through his family members. They have meetings, they decide things, and then they get the job done. And so that's what, that's what was happening in the heavenly realm. And then he decided to take it to the next step. And he told him, said, look, you know, I think I'm going to make man kind of like us, you know, spirit beings. And they'll be my representatives on earth. And we'll have a these lesser beings, but they're going to take care of and steward the earth. And so that was God's plan. The only problem is it got interrupted by rebellion, right? You guys know the story. Lots of, several rebellions in the Bible. There was one before man was ever made, wasn't there? 
Lucifer fell. He decided, ah, I kind of want to do my own thing. I kind of like the praise that you get. I think I'd like to have that for myself. I, the I wills, Isaiah 14. That's the big list of the I wills. That's really what sin is. The center of sin is I, me. It's all about me, self-idolatry. And that's what Satan fell into that trap. And he was excommunicated from the presence of God because that's self-will doesn't work with God. And so then there was a, because he wasn't too happy about, apparently this other family God was going to introduce, whatever, for whatever reason. He didn't like the idea. And so he sought to corrupt man and he succeeded. Another rebellion. Our parents rebelled there in the garden. And then if you follow that through, we have Genesis 6, another rebellion. Then we have a rebellion in chapter 11 of Genesis, the nations, and then the nations were disinherited. Then you take that whole thing through because the nations rebelled. God said, okay, fine. I'll make my own nation. I'm going to choose this old man and this lady that's barren and I'm going to make my own. I'm going to really make them wait a long time so they realize that what's going on in their life is miraculous and it's my work. So she went through menopause and he couldn't father children and God healed them. And they had a baby named Isaac. And then from then, Jacob. And then from there, millions of Israeli people came about, right? The nation of Israel. So you see that whole thing going through the Old Testament, don't we? Nation of Israel. God's people against the rest of the gods of the nations. And then through the gospel, through God bringing about himself into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, through the gospel, where were they to take the gospel? To the nations that had been disinherited. Through the gospel of Christ, God says, all right, I, you guys paid the penalty long enough, centuries of, I'm sort of ignoring you. I've gave all my insights and ordinances and the way to worship me to the Jewish people, my nation, because you rebelled. But now through the gospel, I'm going to let you come back in. If you just re- repent and believe the gospel, then you can be part of my family. That's why I wanted it to be. I, didn't, I haven't changed my mind since I made man that you be part of my family. It's been interrupted by the curse, by the fall, by the rebellion. But if you repent of that rebellion, then you, it's okay. We're all back into oneness. And by the way, I'm going to fix your fallenness. When I take you from this life into the next life, you're going to get a new body. And you're going to be glorified. And you're going to rule and reign with me over what? The nations. Now that's the millennial reign. Isn't that great? That's the inheritance. I I kind of went waiting for my mom and dad to kick off so I get their inheritance, you know. Oh, come on. This is is another world. Much better. So if you feel like you're getting shortchanged in this world, don't worry about it. God's got you covered. He's got us all covered. So Paul's writing this letter and he lays it out because he wants these Christians to know to have the big picture to have an eternal view of life, we have to get our minds and our, our thoughts off this horizontal axis that we see. What we see with our five see, hear, feel, touch, all those senses, right? We're so in tune with this that we don't know what's really going on here and we don't know what's available to us. We're, we have these, you know, according to the scriptures, our citizenship is already there. We're in the heavenlies with Christ. 
And Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand 2,000 years ago, right? What did he mean by that? Well, where's it at? This doesn't, look like, this doesn't look like the kingdom of heaven to me, man. People are killing each other, man. This is rough out there. Fact is, I don't like, I'm, you know, bad things happen to good people, right? What did he mean by that? Surely Jesus didn't lie. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means it's, a, it's here, but not yet. It's here in its spiritual form. The preeminent part of man that needs to be dealt with is the spiritual aspect of man. And so Jesus came to address that. The part that brought separation was now healed through repentance and turning to God and believing the gospel that that breach between man and God, the spirit was now, we could be born again and reunited with our Heavenly Father through faith. So important to understand that the spiritual side of man is much more important than the physical. And then when your eyes are open to the eternal, you begin to see, the, you begin to look at the long uh, side of life. You kind of get that as you age a little bit, but it's, it's important to have an eternal view of life. And so a lot of the things that God is doing in our life, and this is, I don't think we know how to measure this. I don't know how to measure this in my own life. What God is doing in my life and in this present life for all of us, he has an eternal perspective on it. He is preparing you and me for an eternal role and our internal inheritance and how we're going to serve in his family. So your experiences are going to be a little different than mine. And it's okay because God has a different place for all of us. Isn't that wonderful? He's so thorough and he's so perfect in our preparations for what he has for us. And so Paul wanted them to know that. So he prayed at the end of chapter 1 there. He prayed for that they would have spiritual wisdom, revelation, inspiration, and an understanding of the mind and heart of God. This, I believe, is so important for the Christian believer. If you don't begin to see life through the eyes of God and the heart of God, then you're missing out. And it's all about relationship. And big, big, you know, we, we sang it tonight. Our friend. Isn't that a crazy thought? God is our friend? Well, he's more than our friend. I, I, yes. But he, from his perspective, that's how he's saying it. He's our father and he... He dwells in a light unapproachable. He's an all-consuming fire. and he's, there's, I fear and tremble when I think about the magnitude of his person. But he calls, Jesus calls us his brothers. We're his brothers. <laughs> Why would God lower himself to us? I mean, really? It tells you something about him. He's the most humble person that's ever existed or will ever exist. Nobody's more humble than God. Beautiful person. And then Paul lays out in these first three chapters this whole idea of grace and our position as his children before him. And how we once walked in the contrary to God, but we've been brought near by the blood. He takes us, he lays the foundation. If you really want an understanding of the, of the position that we have in Christ, this is in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And then as we, he works through this mystery, you know, the mystery of the church that was sort of hidden in the Old Testament. And But the whole idea that God would actually indwell the believer. What an incredible thing that God, through His Spirit, we become the temple of God. Amazing. And Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles to explain that incredible blessing that God had for them. And so the Ephesians were eating it up. Man, this is great. And so as Paul normally does, he lays out the, the doctrine, the 
the teaching. Here, here's, it's, it's sit down and listen. You're seated with Christ in the heavens. Just sit down and listen and understand and learn. But then with sitting, there's, there's, there's the idea of walking. Now that you know the truth, you're going to be held accountable for walking in it. Walking means lifestyle, behavior. You, now that you know that you are a son of God, a daughter of God, you, you are part of his family, he requires you to walk in a respectful manner. You may say, well, I try, but man, I really mess up. Well, join the crowd. We all have a fallen nature that gets the best of us, but that's where grace comes in. That's where mercy comes in. That's where forgiveness comes in. That's where picking yourself up and saying, God, I'm sorry, I need to just help. I'm a train wreck, you know. And just be honest with them. And then he says, okay, I know that, so let's just move on. I'm, you're forgiven, let's keep walking. You're going to get this. Just like we help little children walk. You know, they don't push, you know, I would love, I, I remember every one of my children learning how to walk. Kathy's, a, Kathy's either I or Kathy would have them by the hands, hold her hands up and, you know, make them, you know, just stand there you know, wobbling and then you'd kind of coax them and then they'd start to walk towards mommy or vice versa, whatever. And sometimes they'd make it. <laughs> but there wasn't much of a, they didn't have to go far to hit the floor, right? <laughs> Never once did Kathy ever strike one of the kids for not walking. God doesn't strike you for trying to do the right thing and failing. He's kind. He's gracious. As a father pities his children, the Lord pities those who fear him. So you, you just need an understanding of God's nature and character towards us. And Paul lays that out here for us. And so as he addresses the family here beginning in chapter 4, it's the idea of walking in unity. And the attitude that you and I need to have towards one another. Because it, it, fam, what is family? It's relationship. Mom, dad, the kids, right? We got to get along. And we're going to see things differently. We're going to you know, cross the line on occasion probably. But we need to have gentleness and lowliness. Be patient. Be forbearing. I, mean, I don't really like that guy. Well, you don't have to like him, but you got to love him. You know? God isn't asking you to embrace somebody and you know spend 24/7 with them he's not asking you to do, he's asking you to do, accept them for who them they are and just love them easier said to done sometimes and then he talks about the need for spiritual gifts and how god could be gracious to this to us as his family members cuz he knows that we are fallen he knows that we need His Spirit. But not only do we need forgiveness and, and the Spirit, we need power. We need an authority that, that is beyond ourselves so that we can accomplish the mission. And that's obviously bringing other people into the family. And so he kind of goes through the spiritual gifts that are established in the body. And he talks about the body ministry. This is why we call it church. But a church just means assembly. We're, we're one body, the body of Christ, as it were. And our job is to build one another up in love, to really care and nurture one another. And so then uh, he, so he makes it to chapter 5 here, what we call chapter 5. How do we walk? Walk in love, we walk in the light, we walk in wisdom. And then he breaks right into the most important relationship of all, and that is the family unit. The, the husband and wife, 
and he breaks down marriage. One command for the wife, one command for the husband. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. That would be eternally, unconditionally. And wives, respect your husbands. And he establishes that order within the family. And then father responsibilities towards the children, not provoking them to anger, but train them up, teach them the ways of the Lord. And then the relationship employee-employer in this context or in that era, bond servants and masters. And so that's sort of this whole idea of Paul wants to, to this is where it's lived out. This is what you've been given, you've set, you've learned, you're walking in it, and now this is how it fleshes out. You love each other. No matter what level relationship it is, you, you show respect and deference to the other people and, and you walk in humility and love to one another. And then Paul gets to, in chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, finally, which, as I said before, and it still holds true, whenever you hear a pastor or a preacher say, finally, don't pay any attention to it because it doesn't mean anything. He's just actually probably just getting started, right? But Paul is going to finish it up in about, you know, 14 verses. So he was, he was honest this time, right? And he breaks into this thing that is so prevalent in Paul's teaching. He is cognizant of not just the horizontal world, the one that we see, the physical realm that we see with our eyes and sense with our senses. He is very conscious of the unseen realm, the realm that is between this physical realm and where the glory of God is manifested in heaven and his divine family lives with him. The good guys, the white hats, okay? In between that, there is a realm of darkness, the unseen realm in which the fallen creatures, fallen angels, those who have rebelled against God, demonic spirits that were disembodied at the flood, who are looking for a host, and that's why they seek to possess human beings, because they can't go that way, because that's the glory of God. They can only come here, this way. And they're disembodied. They, need, they want something to be able to express themselves, and they're malevolent beings. And so Paul's saying, finally, okay, you've got this walk here, you've got these relationships to deal with, here's what's really going to make it even tougher not only do you have a fallen nature, but you're going you're gonna to have people from the dark side bothering you, hassling you. Why do you think there's the evil that's in the world? It's, just, it's much more than we're just naughty people. You see some of the crimes that are committed against humanity, and it is beyond, it is otherworldly. It's, it's just, it's, it's almost shameful to even talk of some of these deeds that are done to people. And we just, it breaks us down. I, when a five-year-old gets sh- shot because he rode his bike on your lawn. And that just happened. That's not been reported. That just happened a couple days ago. And that wasn't reported on the mainstream, you know. What would a five-year-old child? I mean, this is, this is otherworldly. This is not normal. This isn't just because I, you know, I slipped here. There's... So these forces are malevolent. They, have, they want to deceive us and destroy us. They want to break up relationships. They want to break up families. You have to understand this, that we are in a war, and it's a war for keeps. These, they have nothing to lose. They've already lost it. They've lost their immortality. They're, they're, they're going to the pit. 
They're going to stay in the realm of the dead forever separated from life. That's what death means, separated from life. Everything that is alive presently and that has ever been alive is because God gives it life. He is the life giver of all things, all creation. And he exists outside of all of that. He's brought himself into it through the person of Jesus Christ and subjected himself to it. So he's very aware of what's going on. So this is what Paul is breaking to. And he says, and I'll just read these and we'll pick it up here and finish up the chapter. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenlies. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And as for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in change, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know of my affairs and how I am doing. And Tychicus, my beloved brother, a faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brother and love with faith from God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. So you can go back over the past couple of weeks and you'll be able to get chapter or verses 10 through 12 and I bumped into a little bit of 13 there but bro- kind of broke that down a little bit the whole idea and the key to all of what we're talking about tonight in the armor of God is that we are strong in the Lord in the Lord this is this is the key to it this is this means we cannot live independently from God in any way but in our fallenness, we seek autonomy. We want to isolate ourselves and be separate from God. We want to do what we want to do. That's just the natural state. But Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord. Strengthened with His strength, that's essentially. In the power of His might. It is a strength, it is a power that overcomes. It is not a, a strength that fails. It is an overcoming power. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. So we need not fear the enemy, nor anything that he throws against us. And we do that by doing two things. One, putting on the whole armor of God. That's verse 11. And then also, verse 13, taking up the whole armor of God. Now the difference between the two, essentially when you 
put it on. You just, you're wearing it. It's, it's a 24-7, 365. I'm clothed with the armor of God. But the, the, the emphasis is that it's on you. It's an imperative so that you're responsible for it. Nobody's going to dress you. Nobody's going to put it on. You know, you have to dress yourself with the armor of God. But then he takes it to the next step. It is take up. Now that is meaning a whole other meaning. It's get, g- gathering the rest of the armor, which we're going to cover here, believe it or not. And you're ready in, to engage in the battle that's before you. And so the idea is that you'll be able to, verse 11, stand. And this means to endure. Satan's coming for you, but you, and you don't have to slay him. You don't have to you know, kill the demons. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against an unseen realm. It's a spiritual thing. They're coming for us. We don't have to slay them. We just stand. And the idea of enduring is this onslaught will come, but they cannot overcome us. We just need to stand and not, not believe the lies, not believe the deceptions. Because that, if we turn and run, then like I has, I've said before, the armor covers the front of the soldier, not the back, hinder parts. We're not cowards. We're not going to cut and run. We're going to stand boldly because we're taking a stand for the Lord. It's his battle. He's won the war. We're just fighting the battle that, that the enemy is coming for us to attack us. And this is important for us to stand so, it, so that we're able to stand against the schemes, the lies, the tricks. But also to withstand. And the idea of withstanding is that in our stand against, we will not be overcome. We will not be injured. He cannot, he's a, like a, he's on a chain, right? It can only come so far. And God restricts him. We are protected by the Almighty. And so, as I said before, what it really comes down to in spiritual warfare, now if you're walking with the Lord, or you've maybe tried to walk with the Lord and you didn't do so good and you sort of, you know, the enemy came in and kind of dashed your hopes and wiped you out some way and you're just like, oh, well, it didn't really work. Hey, pick yourself up and let's go again. That's what God would say to that. The whole idea here is you have to look at it as an endurance test. We resist the devil. And it takes endurance. You've got to just stand strong. In verse 13 he says, or verse 14 rather, having girded your waist with truth. Truth is always the issue when it comes to, to the war that we're involved in. In warfare, any kind of warfare, truth is always the first casualty in warfare. How did Satan overcome our first parents? He lied to them. He deceived them. He told them that he sold them half-truths, if you will. And he, he, He's able to twist what we believe and to make it seem like something that it's not. And I'll say this, without truth, you cannot stand before your enemies. You just can't. The Bible tells us 
that we are the righteous are as bold as a lion. We are bold because we're standing in what's right. God has set the standard. We didn't make the standard. God has set the standard. We just simply stand in that. We agree with it. And in that, we are strengthened. It's just the natural outcome of it. Gird about with their loins. This is... this. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the second aspect of the armor of God. Now, as a soldier would first put on his belt around his waist. And this was important because this belt actually was the thing that held all the other pieces of the armor. And it sort of served as a place to hang everything. And I think this belt of truth, before I actually get to the breastplate here, I want to finish that up, is uh, referring to not subjective truth in the sense that it's not your personal truth, but it's actually the truth that you are walking in. It's your personal integrity here. And this is what I'm talking about. When you stand in truth as a believer, you can stand before your enemies. Your conscience doesn't bother you because you've been forgiven. And this is as the scripture tells us. My righteousness, says the Lord, to my children, their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. We're not self-righteous. We're righteous because it's a gift to us. And so in that gift, we stand. We stand in that truth. That's so important. You know, a Christian walking in truth... You know what that does to, to the unseen realm? They don't like it. it they hate it. When we're, when we're living in that kind of relationship with God, our prayers get through. We, we break down strongholds. We are a threat. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. There's no prevail. They cannot prevail against the truth. They will fall to it. And a Christian walking in, in in the truth, the devils and the demons are they fear that they that's their objective to get you not to do this because they know how effective it is and believe me, a Christian who's not walking in truth, they have no threat to the devil. A carnal Christian is really missing out I'm not talking about salvation, I'm just talking about life they're missing out on life they're not engaged in the battle. The thing about a belt or having a sash and having it like that, it gives ease of movement. You, you're not restricted. And this is the thing about truth. It sets you free. You're free to serve the Lord. You're free to go about. But, but this chest, this breastplate of righteousness, again, I sort of, it's sort of working together there. But what does the breastplate cover? It covers your heart. And so what is one of the tools? What is one of the wiles, the schemes of the devil to attack you and your conscience. Condemnation. Condemnation is something that, because we all make mistakes and we feel bad about it. If he can get us caught up in ourself, looking inward, 
condemning ourselves. Oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. I'm such a rotten person. And I just want to, you know, call, crawl up into that fetal position on my bed and pull the covers over and die. You know, <laughs> you know, with our failures. That's how we are sometimes. Well, that's that's that condemnation. Condemnation takes you away from God. You don't feel like worthy. God, God probably doesn't want to hear my prayers anyway, and He's sick of me because I'm such a loser. I mean, all those things that we heap upon ourselves, right? I'm glad you don't have any of those struggles. Bless your heart. But conviction is so is the thing that when I do something wrong, I know I've crossed the line, and I, the Spirit of God, is saying, bearing witness to that, and then I admit that. And that's good. It draws me to the cross. Condemnation takes me away. Conviction draws me to. That's the difference between the two. So how do I know if I'm being condemned? Is it wanting, Do I want to come to, to the Lord with it? Or do I want to run from Him? That's the, how you define. And a condemnation is never from God. Never from God. It's always from the enemy. And it's a lie. So you need the righteousness that God provides. So think about this armor, armament that we have. We are, Paul is being very descriptive here. He's probably, he's, he's been, he's, these are prison epistles. He sees these guys every day. They've got the armor on. He's, well, you know, the helmet, the breastplate, the sword, all the, the belt, it's all there, right? So he's just, he just drawing the analogy. Wow, that, that really works. But you put armor on the place where you think you're, and you know you're going to be attacked. So you know the devil's going to attack your heart. You know he's going to attack you in the place of your stability, your, the truth. He's going to try to take the truth from you. So this is important for us to see that. The feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace is such an important, it's a barometer. It's, a, it's an indicator. I don't move forward Unless I have peace. The Greek word is shalom. And that's a very rich word. Which we won't have time to unpack now. But it's a very important word. And the Greek equivalent is irene. That is also very. It's just powerful. It is a place of complete tranquility. And rest. Before God. We have to walk in that. Feet. Walk. That's, that's, that's our stabilizer. That's our balance. If we don't feel peace, we, 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 we halt and we wait until whatever is disrupting that peace is dealt with. There's a reason why you don't feel peace when you're making certain decisions. Well, I don't know if I feel good about that. And I'm not trying to put an emphasis on feelings. I'm just talking about the absence of peace here. There's a reason why you don't feel settled in maybe a decision. Then that means God wants you to stop, re-examine, and pause. Until you examine it, think it through, and then when you are on the right track, and this is what God wants you to do, proceed forward, then the peace will be there. So I look for peace. That's a very big indicator in my life. I look for that. When I don't have peace, I'm constantly trying to figure out why. What happened here? What What am I missing here? Moving on. Above all, taking the shield of faith that you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So the shield of faith covers your arm. It protects your body. And what are we talking about? 
the darts, the projectiles that get launched. What is one of Satan's incredible tools that we just seems to get through? Is the accu- he is the accuser of the brethren. Oh, that pastor said this, and oh, he really paved things this and that. And that guy, if he really was a man of God, you know, we have all these little murmurings. We get this little war of words. What do you think this comes from? You think you just think it up? Well, you might. <laughs> but more times than not, that familiar spirit, that that demon, that dark personage that's been assigned to you to bring you low knows your weakness and he knows how to get a, goad you. And this is, we have to take authority over that. So there's missiles, missiles, javelins, mortars, bullets, arrows. I mean, it's flying. It's war. Faith quenches that. Work through it. That's the accuser of the brother. I'm going to nail that to the cross. Well, did they offend me? Well, I forgive them. Did I offend them? Well, then I asked them to forgive me. Well, the case is settled then. Well, what's there? There's, nothing, there's no case here. Yeah, but he wants to continue to prosecute. <laughs> he wants to keep this going. No, you're breaking the law. That's not, that's not lawful. That's not necessary. You have to work through the issues. And once you've settled them, then, that, that, then that's over. But he wants to keep stirring it back up. Well, faith quenches that. No, no. No. That's is usually how it works in my life. You think about the shield being part of that Roman soldier's attire. It's made of wood, wrapped with leather, about two and a half feet wide and four feet long. And that would absorb an arrow. It wouldn't be able to pierce through and bring any kind of injury. You need this. We need to be... You have to have enough... How would you use it? You have to hold it up. That, that is a, holding it up, is in a, you're using it. And that's what faith is. You're using what you know. You're using the knowledge that you have. It protects you. That's why we teach the Bible. We need to bring the nature and character of God to bear on everything in our lives. The truth about Him. And that shield of faith protects us from those things. Now think about that for a moment. You know, when they, when they would be in a major battle, these soldiers would get together in a group you could move you know if they all put them overhead let's say that they were attacking a a citadel and they they could put they could all kind of put them up high right so anything launched from the wall would it would just bounce off right i mean and they could move it'd be like a tank you know just sort of moving around about i mean it's incredible you see there are some attacks that you cannot you're not able to really withstand them sufficiently. The constant you know, onslaught can wear you down. This is where the body of Christ comes in. This is why I believe that uh, church is an essential thing in our culture. Our relationship with God, our need to worship God and draw strength from Him is an essential thing. And so that's, this is so important. And, and, this, and we see this. As we fight, have to fight together, working together to reach a common goal, reaching the laws, building and fulfilling the mission that God has for each local church and all. We lock our shields together and we move forward. And I believe when we do that, we're indestructible. When the, United, when the church of Christ, 
that believers in the body of a local church are united, they're indestructible, and they're unstoppable. And that's what God's doing in our church. He's trying to bring us all together, despite what's going on and the attacks of the enemy. Now, Satan has, tried, has launched this major check, ch- attack against the church worldwide. Destroy the assembly. Don't have them meet. Well, we have to be, obey God rather than man when it comes to, to that. So it probably won't get easier in the next few months. But let's pray for a miracle, right? And then, then he moves on to the head. Take the helmet of salvation. Think about what would happen to a football player if he didn't have a helmet. That brain dead, I mean, he'd, be, he'd have a concussion. And, you know, they get concussions with them on. I mean, you, you're thinking as a Christian you have to take every thought captive. This is a battle for the mind and the control of the mind. This is, we pull down strongholds. We take captive every thought and bring it into subjection to the truth so that we can obey Christ. This is what Paul tells the Corinthians. So when you get some errant thought, well, where did that come from? Well, if you know the scriptures, then you know what's from God. It's true. What's wait? That didn't sound. That doesn't feel right. That's the enemy. You learn to discern all that, but the battle is in the mind. We need protection there. So, at this point, what we need to again repeat: positionally, we are in Christ. Nobody can be snatched out of the Father's hand. Satan cannot. Kill us and take us out. Everything that happens to the believer who is walking in obedience to Christ has to come through the filter of God's love. And you just stand in that position. If God allows something that's egregious and horrendous, which things do happen like that, know and understand that it isn't because God is angry or mad. He doesn't, he's not like that towards those who love him. He's allowed it and he gives grace to make it through that trial. And he will, we're positionally in Christ and we cannot be snatched from the Father's hand. But experientially, day to day, we are in war. And you've got to remember that. We're hemmed in by God. Isn't that wonderful? So, maintain clear thinking in our minds in the midst of the battle. We must keep our heads. If you panic, you'll become a casualty. You'll get wounded. Pay attention. Clear thinking is required. That's why we can't do drugs. We can't get into things that disorient us and get us off track. We've got to be clear-thinking people. God help us. If you have your head covered and you're in battle, doesn't it, it gives you a sense of, of safety. Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm ready to go here. It's the hope of salvation, as it says, is the helmet of salvation. And then... We have one offensive weapon, and this is so important. This is why we preach and teach the Word the way we do. Holding on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our source. It is the bread of life. It is everything that we need for the battle. We don't need anything more. If, if we would have needed more than what Paul mentioned here, he would have given us more. This is sufficient for the battle. This will get us through. The Word of God is the best defense against my flesh. It's the best flinch of discerning the attacks of the enemy. It's the best defense against the worldly things, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Guys, we have to watch our eyes. Oh, wow. She's beautiful. 
you know, we can start gawking and looking and, you know, next thing you know, we're, you know, we're in the wrong frame of mind. We can't go there. We have to be like Job. I made a covenant with my eyes that I'll not look upon a maid. Okay. I'm going to do that. Oh, but I really like to buy that, you know, get caught up in materialism. There's all kinds of temptations we face. And I find that the word of God is the source of strength in those kinds of things. See, those are the things that Satan's going to work through my fallen nature. He's going to come through those areas that, that I've subjected myself to and I've, I've sinned in, in, the, in my past. And I have to be ready for that. And remember that there's no t- temptation that's, that, would, that happens to us that's not common to everybody. But with every temptation, God will provide a, a, a way of escape. And that's our, that's, again, that's by faith. God will do it. And then he ends with the most important thing, our mouth. You don't cover your mouth. You talk through your mouth, right? Pray. God has called us to pray. So that leads us to what we're going to do now. For those who would like to remain, we're going to take some time to pray. And some of you like, you have a prayer list, and that's okay. But he's going to give you a prayer list right here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. So different kinds of prayer. Being watchful. What to pray for. Being aware of what's going on and praying over it. You can see the battle going on. Wow, that needs help. Let's pray for that. that well, that's sideways. Let's get that. Whoa, Lord, help. You know, you're all over it because you're paying attention. Vigilant. Watchful. I'm in verse 18. And then perseverance. I'm tired. We'll take a nap. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, rest a little bit and then re- re-energize and get back at it, okay? So this is, you know, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You know, if someone, here's how I look at my prayer life throughout the day. If somebody crosses my mind, that person, I, I take that as a cue from the Lord that I should be praying for that person. And I just kind of go through that. And I find that when I, like for example, the accuser of the brethren, if I'm getting hassled by somebody, you know, usually it's some other pastor, to be honest with you, that said, has maybe in my past, because we, you know, pastors are notoriously insecure in relationships. I mean, let's be honest. The, the ego is fragile sometimes. It's just like, it's, it's, you know, it's not a good report, unfortunately. But they may say something and our little fragile egos get offended, you know. Well, I found that if I just pray for that person, the enemy stops bugging me. <laughs> so it's sort of my, my counterbalance. I'm just being real here, honest, over my life experience as a pastor. And I'm sure they probably, you know, I know that they probably have issues too that they have to deal with, you know, relationship issues. So when the enemy attacks on all occasions, Pray. When he's not attacking, pray. All kinds of prayer. Pray for the leadership, as Paul said here, that the word of God continues to go forth. Pray for boldness. Pray for your, the, that the people who are preaching the gospel preach it clearly. They preach the, the word in an instructive way that helps and equips the saints for the ministry. Pray for the ministry team. You talked about Tychicus here. He talks about peace, he talks about love, he talks about faith. So you pray that those things are a reality and a growing reality 
in your life. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for your word. And as it says here, Lord, we just we want to love you, Lord, with all our hearts and true sincerity. And forgive us when we're sure of that. But don't give up on us, Lord, and keep working with us to help us to grow, to mature, and to become all you intend us to be. And now as we go to prayer, Lord, we pray that you would direct us in our prayers for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.